today on In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. Farag. The Lord has His perfect timing, and He will never give us what He wants to give us prematurely, and we don't want Him to. Because if He did, then it would mar, even rob, possibly thwart the richness of the blessing of that which He wants to give us. And so we just wait. Just wait. How much longer, Lord? Just wait. You're listening to In Spirit and Truth, the radio ministry of Pastor J.D. Farag of Calvary Chapel, Kaneohe. Pastor J.D. is currently teaching through the book of Isaiah. Waiting on God is one of the hardest things to do. Today, Pastor J.D. notes that God has perfect timing and a perfect plan. We rob ourselves of God's planned blessings when we disrupt His timing. Let's do the hard task of waiting for God and watch His plan unfold in His timing. If we do, we will be richly blessed. Now, be sure to stay with us after today's message to hear how you can get your own copy of today's broadcast. Subscribe to the In Spirit and Truth podcast or download the In Spirit and Truth iPhone or Android mobile app. But for now, here's Pastor J.D. in the book of Isaiah chapter 64 with today's edition of In Spirit and Truth. I made the decision this last week to only take one chapter. Again, it's again a very short chapter. Please know that whenever it's a short chapter does not mean it'll be a short Bible study. Just let's get that out of the way. It's been said that when it comes to prayer, it's not the length of the prayer, it's the strength of the prayer. That's prayer, not sermons or Bible studies, so we're clear. But it's just one of those chapters, though, that I think we should devote a night to and not try to hurry through, because it speaks to, of all things, (laughs) waiting on the Lord. Uh, When we get to verse 9, it's, I at least hope it will for you, as it did for me, just kind of leap off the pages of your Bible and kind of, in a gentle way, slap you across your face. Well, that's what God needs to do with me anyway, especially when it comes to the matter of waiting for the Lord, waiting on the Lord, When we get to verse 9, it's very clear that God will act on behalf of those who wait for Him. Wait. I hate to wait. (laughs) And that's the problem, and we're going to talk about that. Actually, this is a continuation from chapter 63. And the reason is it's a contiguous. I hope you understand that there there were not chapter breaks in the original, so they were added later, for which I am very thankful. Can you imagine? So turn to the book of Isaiah towards the end, starting uh, here. (laughs) Where? What chapter? We don't have chapters. We don't have verses. Well, thankfully we do. But It's a continuation of a prayer, but really more than a prayer. It's more of a cry. 
It's not just praying to the Lord, it's crying out to the Lord. And interesting because in chapter 63, the prayer, the cry was for God to come down from heaven, or look down as we're going to see from heaven. And now it's not look down, but come down. (laughs) We need you to come now. Before it was look down, now it's come down. And that's the cry, that's the prayer to come down from heaven to judge the unrighteous and save the righteous. As we're going to see, it's really a plea for mercy, for God's mercy, for the sinner who needs to be saved. And it's not because of our righteousness, but His righteousness, the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. And again, we're going to see that actually pretty graphically, but I'm getting ahead of myself, so let's jump in. Verse 1. Oh, listen to the, the cry here. Oh, that you would rend the heavens that you would come down, that the mountains might shake at your presence, as fire burns brushwood, verse 2, as fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries, that the nations may tremble at your presence when you did awesome things, verse 3, for which we did not look, you came down. The mountains shook at your presence. Wow, (laughs) we're off to quite an earth-shaking start, no pun intended. But again, in chapter 63, the prayer was for God to look down. Now here, In chapter 64, the prayer is for God to come down and shake things up. Shake the nations, shake the mountains like you did at Mount Sinai, which is what the reference is there in verse 3. Here's the thing, (laughs) He will. And soon, by the way, I'm particularly fond of verse 2 because of the specificity to the nations, that they would tremble. There is no fear of God in their eyes, but that day is coming when they will tremble in the fear of God at His presence. And notice again the specificity that you would make your name known to your adversaries. The implication being that your adversaries do not know your name, do not fear you. There's no fear of God in their eyes, but that day is coming. And this is the prayer, this is the cry of the heart that God, you would come down and make it right. Right the wrongs, judge the nations, shake up the nations and make your name known 
to your adversaries. Verse 4, for since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has the eye seen any God besides you who acts, here it is, for the one who waits for him. Okay, just bear with me please if you don't mind. Can you just indulge me and flip this around the other way? And just for purpose of illustration, read it this way. So if God acts for the one who waits for him, then wouldn't it stand to reason that he would not act for the one who does not wait for him? I would say yes. And I can testify personally in my own experience how many times I've rushed ahead of God, not waited for Him to do that which He desired to do, in my impatience, in my haste, I have always regretted not waiting for the Lord, and I've never regretted when I have waited for the Lord. And it's even better than that, because the beginning of verse 4 is, <laughs> I mean, this is not just poetic language in this prayer, but for since the beginning of the world, from the beginning of time, there has never been any man who has ever heard or perceived nor has their eye ever seen any God besides you who is like unto you, O God. No man from the beginning of time has ever seen that. It kind of echoes what the Apostle Paul wrote. I think it's First Corinthians, oh, I want to say chapter 2. I'm probably wrong. I always am. <laughs> That's what my wife tells me anyway, but... He basically says something to the effect of, no eye has seen, no mind has ever comprehended, no one has ever perceived that which God has waiting for us. It is incomprehensible. It is unfathomable. And if you think about it, there's no way that the infinite could possibly reveal himself to the finite. And this is why it is, by the way, that we have so many why questions that remain unanswered and always will this side of eternity. There's no way. I mean, it's not that God won't, it's that He can't, because even if He tried, there would be no way. And our response would be, <laughs> more why questions for which we would not be able to comprehend or fathom the answers to. So we cannot understand, we cannot perceive, no ear has heard, no eye has seen. And here's what no ear has heard and no eye has seen. No eye has seen, no ear has heard any God like you besides you 
who will act on behalf of those who wait for Him. Isaiah thirty eighteen. Remember, I don't know how many weeks ago that was. The Lord will be gracious. The Lord will wait so He can be gracious to you. Here's the thing I'm learning in my walk with the Lord. The Lord has His perfect timing, and He will never give us what He wants to give us prematurely, and we don't want Him to. Because if He did, then it would mar, even rob, possibly thwart the richness of the blessing of that which He wants to give us. And so we just wait, just wait. How much longer, Lord? Just wait. It's worth the wait, we say. And if you will but wait, God will act on your behalf. Here's our problem, and I'm saying our problem because you're just like me, whether you like it or not. We don't want to wait, so what do we do? We take matters into our own hands. And it's almost like this, and you'll forgive the simplicity with which I illustrate this, but okay, here's God saying, if you'll just wait, I'll act on your behalf. For those who wait for me, I will act. It appears that you're unwilling to wait, and so you're going to go ahead and just do it instead of me and not wait for me and just take matters into your own hands and you will rue the day that you did. So in my time with the Lord this last week I was spending some time in 1 Samuel 24 and the account of when David is on the run from Saul who wants to kill him. And he goes out and he's in En Gedi in one of these caves. And for those of you that have been to Israel with us, there are many caves in En Gedi. And so he's hiding out with his 600 loyal men in this one cave among all the caves in En Gedi, hiding from Saul who is in hot pursuit. So here's Saul with his 3,000 men, and these were not just 3,000 men, these were special forces. These were elite, selected men, 3,000 of them, and they are in hot pursuit of David to kill him. So there they are in En Gedi, and again for those of you that were there, it's very hot, very dry, and here's Saul, we don't know how old he is, but he's like, hey guys, I need to take a nap <laughs> and relieve myself. That's actually what the original language uh, says in, in terms of the narrative. I need to find a cave that I can just go in and just kind of lie down. I need some shade. Uh, the heat is killing me. And so he goes into a cave. And which cave do you think he's going to go into? Hello? <laughs> the one cave that David is in. And now he's trapped. And there they are in the back of the cave, and they can't move. Because if Saul, who doesn't know, thank you God, 
who doesn't know that David and his men are in the very cave of all the caves in Engedi to <laughs> take a nap, take a break, and, there he, and they can't move. We're not told how long he was there. But David's men took notice when he was fast asleep. And they go to David and they're like, oh, perfect. This is the Lord. And they even quote scripture to David. The Lord has delivered Saul into your hands. Keep in mind, he has been anointed to be the king of Israel. And Saul stands in his way, and he's a thrust of the sword away from taking the throne. There's so many lessons I'll never forget teaching that chapter. I went back into my archive notes, and oh, it was just, it was almost like, I want to teach that chapter again, because there's just so much there. I think it took us two weeks to get through that chapter. One of the lessons to learn from that is sometimes those closest to you are not the best advisors for you, because this was not what God would have him to do. And to David's credit, he discerned that. I mean, they're like, quoting Scripture, this is the will of God, God has delivered him. I mean, what are the odds, David? that Saul's going to end up, and he's by himself, and he's snoring, because he has sleep apnea, and he didn't have his BiPAP with him, but he's snoring, he's asleep, you could kill him right now and take the throne. So David takes his sword. I could, I could just imagine his 600 men going, yeah, do it, do it, do it, you know, cheering him in the background, of course quietly don't want to wake him up takes his sword. He does not cut off his head. He cuts off the corner of his robe. And even then he's mortified, because this is the Lord's anointed. Now here's the point, and I think it speaks to what we're seeing here in verse 4. He took that corner of the robe, and then as Saul wakes up and comes out of the cave, David comes out behind him, says, uh, <laughs> this is a very loose paraphrase, Hey Saul, <laughs> looky, looky what I got. And then Saul's doing the whole thing of, you know, you are, you know, I played the fool and you're more righteous than I, wham, 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 whatever. It wasn't genuine because he had been caught, but he realized that David could have killed him right then and right there, but didn't. Why? He waited. He waited. Think about this. Let's just say for, again, purpose of discussion and illustration that David would have just killed him right there on the spot, and he took the throne that way, Here's God going, wow, I wish you wouldn't have done that. Uh, it's n not the time yet. 
And not only that, but you have just taken the throne by force, not faith. And it's been by your own hand, not mine. Now what's going to happen? I would suggest that the King David that we read about in Scripture, we would not have read about that King David. And by the way, you might as well go to the book of Psalms and start, don't do this, <laughs> this is hypothetical. You would have to remove several Psalms from your Bible, one of which is Psalm 57, which came out of that experience where David talks about how the Lord will deliver you when you're trapped. He will deliver you. He will vindicate you. He will avenge you. But wait for Him to do it. Don't do it by your own hand. Wait for God to do it. If you do it your way, in your time, by your hand, God just says, you know, now you're going to rue the day that you did that. Because the way I was going to do it, when I was going to do it, it would have been perfect. Now you're going to have some serious problems. I know many of you are familiar with Oswald Chambers, his devotional, My Utmost for His Highest. Well, this is many, many years ago. In fact, January 4th is the devotional, and it's all about this. And Chambers says, don't rush ahead of God. Wait for Him to do it. Wait for Him to act on your behalf. It's not about Isaiah 64, uh, 4, but it's about when Peter was kind of getting ahead of the Lord, forecasting, predicting, getting ahead of the Lord, not waiting on the Lord. He said, don't do that. Don't rush in to try to fill in the blank line. Leave a blank, wait for the Lord to fill it in. Because if you rush ahead of the Lord and you do it instead of the Lord, that severing of a relationship, that decision that you make on the impulse of the moment in your haste, not waiting on the Lord. Chambers says, sometimes you will make for yourselves problems that will take years to make right. Oh, this is many years ago now when I first read that devotional. I have this love-hate relationship with Chambers. You know, it's one of those things where, Tozier's another one, by the way. There was a time when I was really in my devotions reading Tozier, and you know, I'm like, oh. And finally one time I just took all my Tozier devotionals and I put them away, and I said, no, no. And I'd go like three, four months, and then come back, and okay, now maybe we'll try again. <laughs> I mean, just... And this was one of them, and I, I just remember thinking to myself, man, that explains everything. And I started rewinding the video in my mind of all of those times that I didn't wait for the Lord to act on my behalf. And I cut Saul's head off. And I took it by force, not by faith. And I didn't wait, and I did it in the energy of my own flesh, and it was riddled with conflict and problems that even, I'm sad to say, to this day have never been made right. 
I've tried in as much as I'm able. Because, you see, the Lord knows the heart, and the Lord's timing is perfect. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of In Spirit and Truth with Pastor J.D. We hope you continue to be encouraged as you learn some good things from the book of Isaiah. Did you realize that there are 39 chapters in Isaiah that address judgment and 27 chapters that point to God's salvation? How fascinating that this book relates to 39 books of the Old Testament, much about judgment of sin, and 27 books of the New Testament, pointing to Jesus as God's salvation for the world. Isaiah is yet another example of how God interweaves the old with the new, and how prophecies from old point to fulfillment of that later. Are you seeing the connections that God has written into these pages of Isaiah? If you're wanting to hear this message again or more like it, you can find them at calvarychapelkaneohe.com. While you're there, you can learn more about the church this ministry is supported by, Calvary Chapel Kaneohe. If you're not already plugged into a local church, we invite you to be part of our church family. If you're in or near the Kaneohe area, we'd love for you to come visit us on Sundays and Thursdays for a time of worship, fellowship, and in-depth Bible study with Pastor J.D. You can find service times and directions on our website. Again, that's calvarychapelkaneohe.com. We're so glad you tuned in today to learn from the book of Isaiah. We look forward to the next edition with Pastor J.D. and the things that God has put on his heart to share from this prophetic book. Thanks again for listening today to In Spirit and Truth.